Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I want to be sure that you didn't miss Milt Eisenberg's obituary in last Monday's Globe. In 1944, flying his 13th mission as an Army Air Corps bombardier over German-occupied France, his aircraft was shot down. He felt the plane shudder at the same moment he heard his friend C.B. Rich scream. Flaming hydraulic fluid had burst a line next to C.B.'s face and spilled down his shirt. Milt beat out the flame, helped his friend into a parachute, and guided him into the tunnel leading to the bomb bay. C.B. bailed out. As he landed and the chute billowed down on him, he saw Milton Eisenberg stenciled on the chute. Milt had saved his life. Milt, meanwhile, badly burned himself, found a spare parachute in the spiraling plane, put it on, and jumped. C.B. Rich was rescued by the French underground from where he lay in a swamp. Milt Eisenberg landed near a farm where an 18-year-old girl offered to accompany him to find help. He gave her his gun in case he was apprehended and taken as a spy. But she turned it on him and betrayed him to the Germans. Milt spent 10 months as a prisoner of war until he was rescued by the Allies in April of 1945. He wrote of prison camp, these kids, and of course a great many older men, showed such guts with verve and humor. The Germans asked all the Jews among the prisoners to take a step forward, he recalled. As they did, so did every other American POW. The Germans tried it again, he said, with the same results. It was one of my proudest moments as an American. This story stayed with me all week. I was deeply moved by Milt Eisenberg's heroism, and I was transformed by the utter absence of anger in his story. I like the possibility that a coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. In the week of September 11, 2001, Riverhead Books in New York released Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Anger, Wisdom for Cooling the Flames. The jacket features a cloudy blue sky, or perhaps a smoky blue sky. In the week after the terrorist attack, I remember walking past a bookstore with nothing but this book displayed in its window. Anger, anger, anger. More than five years later, some of us are still carrying that white-hot 
anger. Some of us have slid into a low-level depression. And some of us are numb. Milt Eisenberg, however, was not angry. What was his secret? In a section called Saving Your House, Thich Nhat Hanh writes, if your house is on fire, the most urgent thing to do is to go back and try to put out the fire, not to run after the person you believe to be the arsonist. If you run after the person you suspect has burned your house, your house will burn down while you are chasing them. That is not wise. <laughs> you must go back and put out the fire. So when you are angry, if you continue to interact or argue with the other person, if you try to punish them, you are acting exactly like someone who runs after the arsonist while everything goes up in flames. I'm interested in the spiritual practice of what firefighters call a controlled burn, putting that fire to good use. The aim is not to get rid of our anger, but to free ourselves from the way it fogs our minds so that we can see clearly. Anger is always worthy of our attention, but we can't really see it until it settles down. This is what Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche calls victory over warfare. Rather than torching what we cherish, singeing ourselves and one another, we can save the house and transmute our rage into clarity, wisdom, and powerful activism. Thich Nhat Hanh begins with the counterintuitive lesson that we must embrace our anger. Our anger is our friend, he says. It has come as a faithful messenger warning us that something is not right. To ignore its message or push it away is perilous at best. On the other hand, if we allow it to have its way with us, we will be overwhelmed and become its victim. We must honor and respect the messenger and engage it with our full attention. Thich Nhat Hanh writes, if you don't know how to handle your anger, it will kill you. With the energy of mindfulness, we are protected. Mindfulness helps us take care of our situation. While recognizing and embracing our anger, we must generate mindfulness continuously. We can do this by the practice of continuous mindful walking and breathing. When we really get in touch with something, then we will know its true nature. Don't be the victim of your anger, he writes. Don't allow yourself to be tyrannized by your anger. Right now, you may be standing on the shore of confusion, anger, or doubt. Don't stay there. Go to the other shore. Walking and breathing, you will cross very quickly. You have the right to be happy. The seed of awakening is in you. With this practice, you can end your suffering. <laughs>
Many of us have grown fond of quoting from A Course in Miracles, would you rather be happy or would you rather be right? The question has given many of us pause. <laughs> and the opportunity to change directions from right, miserably right, to happy. Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching is really asking the same question in a new way. Would you rather be happy or would you rather be angry? This is a trick question. The truth is sometimes we'd rather be angry. Anger can be tremendously focusing and energizing. And all too often from where we're standing in all our righteousness, the other side of anger doesn't look like happiness. It looks like a very scary place where we'll have to feel the pain of our wounded heart, feel our fear, feel our despair. Here's another take on that trick question. Would you rather be happy or would you rather be angry? This is from one of the very few female Tibetan teachers. Her name is Khandro Rinpoche. Rita Gross tells the story that Khandro Rinpoche was giving a set of teachings and a woman asked her, what should we do with our anger? How should we deal with anger? Khandro Rinpoche's reply was very sharp, very cutting. She said, Anger is always a waste of time. The student said, but, there's always a but with anger. <laughs> but what about things that are wrong? What about things that deserve anger? And Khandro Rinpoche replied, again, very sharply, I didn't tell you to lose your critical intelligence. Rita Gross writes, I was pretty angry when I began to practice seated meditation. And I did not begin to sit because I wanted to find a way to work with my anger. In fact, I think if someone had told me that it might not be so easy to keep my head of steam going, I might not have been so interested in sitting meditation. As someone who was socialized in the 50s, I actually went through a long period of self-hatred before I came to anger. And anger is probably better than self-hatred, so I became very good at cutting rhetoric and white-hot outbursts of rhetorical fury. It's not so much that we need to throw away our anger as that we need to distill it, to settle the emotionalism, that cloudy, heavy, painful feeling. You feel this energy in your body that hurts, and yet you know you can't say anything sensible when you feel that way. And yet, that's when we're really tempted to sound off. The pain is so great, an outburst of anger will give momentary relief. But it doesn't pacify the situation. It doesn't make people more understanding. It's hard to take angry people seriously, partly because of what they bring up in us and partly because of the defensiveness we feel when somebody is lashing out. What happened to me, writes Rita Gross, was actually very scary. Life is like a test tube that has a number of ingredients in it. You shake the tube and nothing is clear, nothing is settled. And then with practice, that situation settles and stills and the emotionalism subsides and it leaves some intelligence, some clarity. When anger transmutes, it transmutes into clarity the energy of anger becomes mirror-like 
wisdom. After a while of practicing, I realized that I just couldn't work up that head of steam. It just wasn't there. Simultaneously, I noticed that people were listening to me better. When I talked to people, instead of putting up a wall and going the other way, they were listening to me. My spiritual companions, I commend to you the example of Milt Eisenberg and what I am naming in his honor the Eisenberg option. We could do worse than to consider the possibility that anger wastes our precious time. The possibility of cultivating the faculties of our critical intelligence and choosing happiness over anger. C.B. Rich was in flames, and rather than shoot back at the enemy that had fired on them, Milt Eisenberg gave his friend a parachute and grabbed one for himself. Our house, our world, is in flames, fueled by anger. What will we do now to save our own lives and all who share this home with us? Who among us will step forward and so transmute the roaring blaze of rage into clarity, wisdom, and powerful activism. I close with a few lines from poet Adrian Rich's Transcendental Etude. No one ever told us we had to study our lives, make of our lives a study, as if learning natural history or music, that we should begin with the simple exercises first and slowly go on trying the hard ones, practicing, till strength and accuracy became one with the daring to leap into transcendence, take the chance of breaking down in the wild arpeggio or faulting the full sentence of the fugue. And in fact, we can't live like that. We take on everything at once before we've even begun to read or mark time. We're forced to begin in the midst of the hardest movement, the one already sounding as we are born.